report from Family Life, bringing a Christian worldview to what's happening in New York, Pennsylvania, across the country, and around the world. Weather with Kevin Williams, plus special features and reports with the Family Life News team. Now, here's what's happening. Rain out. Good afternoon and welcome to the broadcast. A soaking rain this Friday could lead to some flash flooding across the listening area. It is compliments of what's left of Tropical Storm Nicole, which will turn into a nasty nor'easter. Forecaster Dylan Dreyer. It is going to get messy for the East Coast. Look how expansive this storm is. We've got those outer bands producing torrential downpours up into the Northeast. Nicole roared ashore as a rare November hurricane early yesterday along the Atlantic coast of Florida. Better watch out, we're gonna blow away here. The wind is wild. Thousands are powerless still in the storm-wrecked Sunshine State. But no one's ever seen anything like this. This house collapsing into the water. High-rise apartment buildings along the Atlantic coast have been evacuated out of fear that they may collapse. Reporter Elise Preston is standing by in hard hit Daytona Beach. Homes along this barrier island teetered on the edge before Hurricane Nicole hit. Now, many have crumbled into the ocean. Local officials in Volusia County say as many as 40 single homes and 19 hotels are compromised. Five deaths in Florida are blamed on Nicole. Tens of thousands still remain without power. Showdown in the Peach State. We're in overtime. Hey, I was built for this. I did warn y'all that we might be spending Thanksgiving together. Once again, Georgia could decide which party controls the U.S. Senate. It did in 2020 and may do so again in 2022. Democratic incumbent Raphael Warnock says he will win again the December runoff. This is a race about right and wrong. Right for Georgia. Republican challenger Herschel Walker says he's right for Georgia. He's thinking he's gonna win. We need to prove him wrong and let him get out of that office. He don't deserve to be in that office representing Georgia. Texas Senator Ted Cruz is confident the former football star can carry the proverbial ball across the goal line for Republicans in next month's high stakes election. Once again, the fate of the country depends on Georgia. Herschel's gonna win this race. Three days after. After the midterms, ballots are still being counted in the contested states of Nevada and Arizona, where U.S. Senate races remain too close to call. Arizona gubernatorial candidate Carrie Lake. Democrats are running out of ballots to count that are going to go in their favor, and they know it. When they start counting these mail-in ballots that were hand-delivered, that's when we're going to see everything start to shift. In the U.S. House, Republicans are just seven seats shy of claiming the majority. They need 218 right now. They have 211 with dozens of races still in the undecided column. GOP leader Kevin McCarthy says regardless of how slim the margin of victory, a win is a win, he says. Remember in the House, they don't give gavels out by small, medium, and large. They just give you the gavel, and we're going to be able to govern. Many Republicans are blaming former President Trump for the red wave that did not happen on Tuesday, outgoing Pennsylvania Republican Senator Pat Toomey. If fealty to Donald Trump is the primary criteria for selecting candidates, we're probably not going to do really
really well. Newly elected New York Congressman Mike Lawler was asked about Trumpism in America. You want to see the party move forward from Trump? Yeah, I think moving in a different direction as we move forward uh, is a good thing. Former House Speaker Newt Gingrich. Governor DeSantis will almost certainly become uh, the rallying point for everybody in the Republican Party who wants to uh, move beyond President Trump. As debate continues over who the next flag bearer will be for the GOP, former Trump aide Kellyanne Conway says there's room in the party for both Ron and Don. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and former President Donald Trump. We need more unity, less divisiveness in the Republican Party because guess what? We've got the best policies and messages. We don't have unity right now. The Democrats have no good policies, but they showed a lot of unity ginning up their base and it paid off in some of these elections. Conway points out that six million more Americans voted Republican than Democrat in the recently concluded elections. Trump is expected to announce next Tuesday what his future political plans are. President Biden is on a globe-trotting tour that'll take him to three nations on two continents in four days. First stop, Egypt, where he is right now, for a climate change conference. Then it's on to Cambodia. And after that, the G20 in Bali, Indonesia. There, the president will come face-to-face, eyeball-to-eyeball, for the first time as president with his Chinese counterpart, Xi Jinping. we got to be unequivocally clear with him face-to-face and tell him, if you take military action in Taiwan, you're going to force me to respond militarily as well. And that is not in anybody's interest to do that. And the entire world economy will tank as a result. Military analyst Jack Keane thinks 2023 might be the year that China decides to invade Taiwan. A federal judge in Texas has struck down the president's $400 billion student loan forgiveness program. It would have canceled up to $20,000 in debt for millions of college kids. The judge says that bailout was the largest abuse of power in the executive branch in the history of the country. Montana voters have just rejected a ballot measure that would have required medical care for infants who are born alive after an abortion. The Born Alive Infant Protection Act failed by 20,000 votes there in Montana. Today's teenagers are not getting the message that smoking is bad for you. The CDC's Linda Neff says vaping remains a huge problem for kids and many are lighting up even though they know the dangers. There are multiple factors that continue to entice uh, youth including kid friendly vape flavors, marketing and there are misperceptions of harm. A new CDC FDA study finds two and a half million high schoolers routinely use tobacco products. Half a million middle schoolers do the same. It is November 11th, Veterans Day on both sides of the Atlantic. Britain today observing two minutes of silence as Big Ben told, marking the exact moment the guns of World War I fell silent on the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month of the year. Armistice Day, as it was called then, today, Veterans Day, is a federal holiday. Many banks, post offices, government buildings, and schools are closed to honor those who wore the uniform. Still to come on the Noon Report for a Friday, still a lot.
lot of local elections undecided, hostage situation near Houghton University, and another case for banning TikTok. Good afternoon. On this Veterans Day, we are looking at rain. That will be a factor this afternoon. Tonight, soaking for many, and cold air follows for the weekend. Forecast details are following in about 10 minutes. All right, Kevin Williams, we will look for you then. In the meantime, let's check the stories making news where you live across New York and Pennsylvania. Control of the Pennsylvania House remains up in the air three days after the midterms. 100 Democrats and 100 Republicans were elected on Tuesday, leaving three races in swing districts unresolved. All three of those seats are currently held by Republicans. Republicans. Democrats are confident they can wrestle back control of that chamber for the first time in a dozen years. A closer look next at how one swing county, Erie County, PA, helped elect John Fetterman to the U.S. Senate Tuesday night. Family Life's Greg Gillespie goes inside the numbers. Mehmet Oz and John Fetterman had both expected Erie would be a bellwether for how the entire state would vote. Senator-elect Fetterman outpolled Oz in Erie County 53 to 47 percent. Voter turnout jumped from 53 percent in the midterm four years ago to almost 59 percent this year. Six out of ten Fetterman Erie County votes were on mailed-in or dropped-off ballots. Only one out of ten of the votes for Oz were on early ballots. Greg Gillespie, Family Life News. All right, Greg, thank you for that. Those of you who live in New York's 22nd Congressional District in the central part of New York may have to wait weeks until a winner's declared. Republican Brandon Williams has already declared victory, but Democrat Francis Canole is refusing to concede defeat. A recount might be necessary to decide that one. New York Congressman Joe Sempolinski says if the U.S. House does switch hands from Democrat to Republican control, then Lee Zeldin is a big reason why. Lee ran a fantastic campaign. And it is directly attributable to the strength of the Zeldin campaign. Zeldin failed to win the governor's race Tuesday, but he did perform strong enough to help flip several blue seats red. It's looking like we're going to have 11 Republicans for New York State, the four incumbents who ran for re-election, plus seven freshmen. Four of those are switches, uh, seats hmm. that have been held by the Democrats. We're going to have four on Long Island, we're going to have one on Staten Island, and then we did very well on the Hudson Valley in central New York. Republicans also picked up seats in the state legislature, though both the Senate and Assembly retained large Democratic majorities. A man who was once a police recruit in Greece, New York, and security guard at Spencerport High School faces federal charges today for production and possession of child pornography. Cops say this guy, 27-year-old Jason Lane, had an inappropriate picture of a preschooler at a local local daycare facility, along with sexually explicit images of two minors. Police found the material on Lane's cell phone at his home in Brighton over the summer, the suspect facing up to 30 years in prison if convicted. An Allegheny County, New York man is facing a host of charges today following an eight-hour hostage situation this week. Cops responding to a domestic disturbance on Findlay Road in the town of Centerville. That's not far from Houghton University. 39 Nine-year-old Jacob McCowan accused of menacing with a firearm and then barricading himself inside a home with other occupants. McCowan was eventually taken into custody. He remained
remains in the custody of Allegheny County authorities. A social media stunt has led to serious consequences in western New York. Family Life's Brandon Dixon has the latest on the fallout from the TikTok car stealing challenge. Amherst police say they'll begin distributing free wheel locks from Kia to residents affected by the Kia challenge. It comes as another federal lawsuit is expected to be filed against the automaker, this time on behalf of a Buffalo family who lost their son in a crash on the Kensington Expressway last month that killed four teens who allegedly stole a Kia Sportage as part of the TikTok challenge. Attorneys across the country claim that Kia intentionally built cars without standard safety ignition features and needs to be held accountable in court. Brandon Dixon, Family Life News. All right, Brandon, thank you for that. The Pennsylvania Department of Transportation continues an aggressive driving crackdown this weekend. Family Life's Terry Diener has those details. State and local police across Pennsylvania continue an aggressive driving enforcement crackdown that runs through Sunday. During the period, law enforcement are on the lookout for aggressive drivers with a special emphasis on tailgating, school bus safety, the revised move-over law, and excessive speeding. Terry Diener, Family Life News. All right, Terry, thank you. Restaurants offering free meals to veterans and active duty soldiers this Veterans Day. Mark Mayfield has more. Deals and discounts are on the menu at chains including Applebee's, Outback Steakhouse, Texas Roadhouse, and other places. Also offering thanks with free items are Dunkin', IHOP, Starbucks, Wawa, and Krispy Kreme. Proof of service is required, such as a military ID, discharge papers, VA cards, or veterans organization cards. Some businesses will allow being dressed in uniform as identification. I'm Mark Mayfield. All right, thank you, Mark. The Noon Report continues with a check on sports. Good afternoon, I'm Randy Snavely. Bob, last night in Charlotte, the Panthers' Deontay Foreman rushed for his season-high 130 yards, also scored a touchdown. Carolina knocked off Atlanta 25-15. Panthers improving to 3-7 on the season, while the Falcons fell to 4-6. On the ice in Buffalo, a former Sabre did in the current Sabres. Former captain Jack Eichel scored three goals in the third period as Vegas knocked off Buffalo 7-4 for the Sabres. They've now lost four straight. The Islanders couldn't get anything to go in the net and Arizona scored twice in the third period. 2-0 your final. A team that did figure out how to put the puck in the net were the New York Rangers and they did it often, especially in the third period. Mika Zavanajad scored twice to lead New York, but this game was tied at two heading into the third Third, when the Rangers rattled off six unanswered goals, a two-year final. In Columbus, the Blue Jackets raced out to a 3-0 lead, and Philly never recovered. 5-2 the final. Flyers now 7-4-2 on the season. Also winning, Boston, Carolina, New Jersey, St. Louis, Colorado, and Los Angeles. On the hardwood, Joel Embiid scored 26 points and grabbed 14 rebounds, but the 76ers' defense disappeared in the third quarter. They gave up 34 points, and Philly fell to the Hawks in Atlanta, 104-95. Miami won in overtime against Charlotte, 117-112. The Trailblazers beat the Pelicans, 106-95, and it was Washington over Dallas, 113-105. 
That is a look at sports. All right, Randy, have a wonderful weekend. Still to come on the Noon Report for a Friday, a wild weekend weather-wise. Kevin Williams will have those details coming up. Taking stock of the vote on Tuesday with the Capital Connection crew and meet the veteran who is honoring his fellow soldiers by going on a bike ride, a 1,700-mile bike ride. That story on the way. Welcome to Breakpoint, a daily look at an ever-changing culture through the lens of unchanging truth. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street. Americans throughout our nation's history have always defined ourselves in terms of liberty. We're the land of the free, the home of the brave. Our national holiday is Independence Day. We frame all of our wars as wars of liberation. Most recently, we faced down the twin tyrannies of fascism and communism, making liberty of conscience and the untethered flow of information hallmarks of our free society. But suddenly, however, it seems that freedom of speech has become something controversial. For example, that we might expect self-professed liberals to fear that the richest man in the world, who already has his hands in multiple key industries, to use his newfound power at Twitter to suppress dissent, not allowing marginalized and unpopular voices to be heard. Instead, they seem to be worried that he won't suppress dissent, that he will allow those they don't like to stay on the platform. Remember the days of relativism where we were told that all ideas are equally true, all voices equally valid? Remember the postmodern idea that since all authorities are equally biased, then all are equally false, and there's only what's true for you and what's true for me? Well, those were the good days. There were some voices, however, who did predict that this idyllic state of tolerance would not last. Pope Benedict, for example, described the impending dictatorship of relativism. Friedrich Nietzsche and his French disciples foresaw the power struggle that would come to define reality by determining language and the meaning of words. And recently, Ross Douthat described it this way in the New York Times, quote, cultural progressivism dabbles in censorship and worries that the First Amendment goes too far. Trumpian conservatism flirts with postmodernism and channels Michel Foucault. Look, if all this were nothing but the complaints of social media pundits from one end of the political spectrum, we might safely ignore this hypocrisy. However, in the last couple of weeks, some on Twitter have begun to reveal that there was an alliance between social media giants like Twitter and Facebook and various governments around the world. Alliances that were designed to quickly delete or suppress posts that were designed to be harmful or misleading. And the ones making that call were state officials. These complaints were put forward by publications on both the right and the left and have been shared by the ACLU, who commented, quote, the First Amendment bars the government from deciding for us what is true or false online or anywhere. Our government can't use private pressure to get around our constitutional rights. Look, it would certainly be nice if there were a way to rid our news feeds and digital platforms of misinformation, of hate, of name calling. But do we really want politicians and bureaucrats to make that call? As Ronald Reagan famously quipped, quote, the most terrifying words in the English language are, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. The idea that state agencies should decide what citizens deserve to know should terrify all of us, no matter our political loyalties. And that's because any group, political or otherwise, that sets itself up as the guardians of people and arbiters of right and wrong information presumes to have the wisdom of Solomon and somehow to be immune from its own biases. Tragically, the greater confidence a person seems to have in their own good intentions, the more likely they seem to be to abuse that power. This, of course, is one of the great lessons from both Lord Acton and the Lord of the Rings, that the temptations of absolute power are simply too much for even the best of us. The tradition in the West for tolerating dissent and demanding free speech, even for our foes, did not come about because people decided that everyone was wonderful and that all ideas should be shared and shared alike so long as a few bad apples were tossed aside. 
Instead, it came from the hard realization that on account of our all-too-human frailties, none of us is fit to hold absolute power, even over Twitter. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street. This Breakpoint was co-authored by Dr. Timothy Paget. For more resources to live in this cultural moment, please go to colsoncenter.org. All right, thank you, John. Let's take it outside next, Kevin Williams. Here is your family life weather forecast for this afternoon. And tonight, cloudy and damp with a soaking rain. It'll be mild, though. High this afternoon, 60s to near 70. Low tonight, 40s and 50s. Tomorrow, brisk and chillier. A variably cloudy couple of more showers. Wet flakes mixing in in the afternoon over the western frontiers. Temperatures dropping tomorrow from the 40s and 50s. And then a colder day Sunday. Watch for some lake effect snow in the western twin tiers. Elsewhere, brisk with a couple of rain and snow showers and highs in the 30s and low 40s. All right, Kevin, thank you. It is Friday, Veterans Day, the 11th of November, and you're listening to the Noon Report on Family Life. And welcome back to another edition of Capital Connection. Fridays during the noon report, we give you, the listener, direct connection to what's happening in Albany and Harrisburg with the experts on the issues at the state capitals. They are, as always, Michael Gear at the Pennsylvania Family Institute and Jason McGuire with New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedom. So, gentlemen, it's our post-mortem on the midterms. The dust is starting to settle a little bit from Tuesday night. Of course, a lot of people still talking about what happened in Pennsylvania, Michael. When you look at the Oz Fetterman results, when you digest that Shapiro route in the governor's race, is it safe to say, Mr. Gear, that Pennsylvania is no longer a purple state? Maybe time to move that one into the blue column. What say you? Well, not necessarily. I mean, there was tons of money that was spent uh, here in Pennsylvania, and quite honestly, the candidates uh, that were at the top of the ticket on the Republican side were not honestly the best candidates. Doug Mastriano ran what would be called an unconventional campaign that did not get legs. He refused to talk to the media. That was not helpful. And his January 6th uh, connection was also harmful. In the case of Dr. Oz, that was the most expensive Senate race in the country with uh, $300 plus million spent on that. And Dr. Oz was not a Pennsylvania native. That was played out in the campaign. And then the late debate where uh, John Fetterman finally was exposed to the public came so late, many of the early voting had already gone in for John Fetterman. So, you know, when I look at the state of Virginia, which uh, back in 2019 was declared, that is a blue state. Uh, then in 2021, electing a Republican governor and seeing the legislature shift, I'm not ready to put Pennsylvania fully in the blue column. Jason, one of the few silver linings for Republicans on election night, oddly enough, played out in downstate New York. Talk about the Zeldin effect in those congressional races that went from blue to red in deep blue New York. Yeah, that could be the silver lining, as you say, in New York. Having Representative Lee Zeldin do so well in this election on the gubernatorial race, even though he lost that race, he brought a lot of coattail effect to congressional races across the state. And if the Republicans take the House, they may very well have to look to New York and say that's where the line, the margin of victory came from, were the Republican pickups in Empire State. Silly me, Michael. I thought gas and groceries were what's going to drive the vote 
on election night. Exit polling shows that abortion was a major factor in this election. You have talked on this program about what would happen in the first election post row. Are you surprised at just how much the abortion issue drove the results on Tuesday? I think to some degree, I, I would say I am surprised. I didn't think it would sell to the extent that it did to Pennsylvanians, but to the extent that it did sell to Pennsylvanians, it was especially younger Pennsylvanians. There was a massive uptick in Pennsylvania and around the country of younger voters in the 18 to 29 age group for whom the abortion issue did make more of a difference. The other part of it is the news media lied about it. So they talked about bans and other things. Pennsylvania allows abortion right up until six months in our state. So by no means are we one that's leading in the pro-life effort here in Pennsylvania in terms of what our laws are. But the, the news media may, people think abortion was about to be banned in our state as a result of the overturn of Roe. Yeah, and the messaging here, you know, look at the issues that drove traffic to the polls, Jason. These perceived threats to democracy, I include, you know, abortion in that. How can pro-life New Yorkers package the conversation about abortion better when you hear things like, like abortion is health care and all those things. What can pro-lifers do better to message this issue so that it doesn't end up hurting them at the ballot box? Well, I think we have to be careful and, and first recognize reality. The culture is not where many in the pro-life community are yet. I believe they will be one day, but they're not there yet. I believe that life begins at the moment of conception, but government is not there yet. The American people are not there yet. And so I think it's important that we step back and say, okay, what can we agree on and be willing to work as incrementalists to get to the real goal? Uh, we're going to have to change a whole lot of hearts and minds, and that's going to mean some pretty open conversations, and frankly, putting us even from government perspectives and the legislation in places that some pro-lifers are not entirely supportive of, but at the same time may mean some wins on the way to the ultimate goal of protecting the sanctity of human life. The big bullseye uh, after the election was Donald Trump, Michael. We saw what Pat Toomey, the retiring U.S. Senator, had to say, uh, the GOP needs to rid itself of all things Trump. Did Trump hurt Republicans more than Biden hurt Democrats on election night? I think there's a case to be made uh, for that, quite honestly. Uh, looking at the endorsements that Donald Trump had in the Pennsylvania races and around the country seemed to be a little bit of a downdraft and a, a negative for some of the, the candidates, and quite honestly, the Democrats took advantage of that. Yeah. So when Donald Trump uh, insinuated himself in the primary process here in Pennsylvania, I think that really sort of upset the apple cart and created a situation where we didn't have the best candidates at the top, some would suggest. Yeah, former Assemblyman Dove Hykind is really upset at President Trump for the day before the election in Dayton, Ohio, saying, I've got a big announcement to make. He says that stole a lot of thunder from Republicans on Election Day. Of course, you know, next week he's got another big announcement he's going to make, and there's a lot of even Trump people now, Jason, saying, hey, hold off until after that Georgia runoff, because that Georgia runoff will probably decide who controls the U.S. Senate. But I'll ask you the same question. Did Trump hurt the GOP more than Biden hurt Democrats? Yeah, I think there's a case we made for that, as Michael has said. So there is an identity issue right now with the Republican Party. Is Are they the party of Donald Trump, or are they the party of something else? And then, Michael, there's talk in Harrisburg that for the first time in a dozen years, the state house is about to change party hands. Do you think that is a real possibility in Harrisburg. Yeah, based on the numbers that we're seeing now, there's still some races uh, yet to be counted uh, fully, but it's looking like 
that Democrats will take control of the Pennsylvania House of Representatives by perhaps a one or maybe two vote margin. Their chances were enhanced significantly with the redistricting that happened here in Pennsylvania, and they made the most of it in this election cycle. Yeah. And uh, Jason, how about the makeup of the New York State legislature after these election results? There's not going to be a ton of change in our state legislature. Uh, there's a question still remaining as to whether or not the Democrats will retain the supermajority in the state Senate. The Republicans may break that by one vote, but that's even on the bubble. In the Assembly, the Republicans have picked up, it looks like, five new seats and held on to every incumbent and open seat. So, you know, picking up those seats is big for the Assembly, but it still means there's a Democratic supermajority in at least that chamber and probably both. Yeah, let's talk about the lessons learned from Tuesday. Molly Hemingway from The Federalist had a really good article, Michael, saying that uh, Republicans have got to learn that there's no such thing as election day. There's basically two elections that play out in this country. There's the early voting and then there's the actual day of voting. And right now, Republicans are getting their clocks cleaned because they're not taking advantage of early voting. How can they pivot here and learn this lesson before 2024? Well, they need to do that. Uh, and, and all of the mechanics of how to do that, uh, they need to learn very quickly because early voting is new to Pennsylvania as of 2020. So we're not used to it here. Those on the Democratic side and the progressive side have sort of been schooling uh, Republicans on how to do it and get the, the vote out early. And so we see those early ballots coming in that so often favor the Democrats. And uh, we need to learn and uh, learn fast. Yeah. And how about you, Jason, as far as that day of vote versus early voting? 42 million ballots were cast before the first polls even opened up Tuesday morning. How do you think Republicans learn here going into the next big election? Yeah, going through our second cycle with this and beginning to see more Republicans already showing up for early voting. So those numbers are beginning to move. But essentially, Democrats are viewing this as, as a campaign. It's, it's, you know, they're seeing this as, as a waging a month-long campaign for voting now with absentee and early voting. Republicans need to do the same. And I still saw people the day of basically pulling the list to see who had voted on election day. We need to be pulling those lists every single day of early voting and backing up that process, getting people to the polls. A lot of work to be done. All right, and that'll be the last word this week, our post-mortem on the midterm. And uh, if you have any questions or concerns about what is going on right now in Pennsylvania, maybe you're looking at the makeup of the General Assembly. Uh, Michael, you have a website where you're up to date on all this stuff. Where can folks find you? PAFamily.org. And stay informed, those downstate congressional races that may have flipped control of Congress. You covered that on your website, Jason. Where can folks find you? AlbanyUpdate.com. All right, Capital Connection comes your way Fridays during the Noon Report or online anytime, familylife.org. Just look for the news icon on the podcast page. Good afternoon. Here is your Family Life regional weather forecast. The disturbance that was once Hurricane Nicole working north from Georgia this afternoon, spreading rain across the area and a good soaking is ahead this afternoon into and if not through tonight. Cold air that's been setting records in the west, complete with snow, is coming east. And though it will modify, it will set the stage for a more winter-like pattern parts of the area later this weekend and next week. The call for this afternoon and tonight, cloudy and damp with a soaking rain. Could be some rumbles of thunder, especially on the I-81 corridor. It'll be mild though. High this afternoon, 60s to near 70, low tonight, 40s and 50s. Tomorrow, brisk and chillier, 
Uh, variably cloudy, a couple of more showers, wet flakes mixing in in the afternoon over the western twin tiers. Temperatures dropping tomorrow from the 40s and 50s. And then a colder day Sunday. Watch for some lake effect snow in the western twin tiers. Elsewhere, brisk with a couple of rain and snow showers and highs in the 30s and low 40s. All right, Kevin, thank you, and have a wonderful weekend. On this Veterans Day, the story of how one vet is raising money to support others like him. After four combat tours in Afghanistan, retired Army Colonel Chris Kalenda wanted to honor his fellow soldiers. So you went from not riding a bicycle in 20 years to riding 1,700 miles. I said to myself, you know, I'm not getting any younger. Kalenda biked cross-country to visit the grave sites of the six fallen paratroopers from the unit he commanded. I feel a lot of gratitude. Gratitude for the service and sacrifice of our six fallen heroes. Gratitude for the 800. I had my back for 15 months. Combat changed the survivors. Many struggle with post-traumatic stress. One of our paratroopers, he now lives in a dumpster. He's a meth addict. In our unit alone, we've lost more to suicide and substance abuse than enemy fire. We had uh, one of our paratroopers die two weeks ago by suicide. On that 1,700-mile journey, he learned that sometimes you've got to open old wounds to heal better. Margaret Brennan in Washington. And for for all those who've served, happy Veterans Day. That's the world we live in Friday, the 11th of November. Enjoy the weekend, folks. I'm Bob Price. Family Life News. You've been listening to the Noon Report. Heard weekdays on Family Life. Thank you for listening.